Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity Company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times. In January, Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton announced that drinking water in Bloomington contains disinfectant byproducts at a at a, uh, elevated levels. Uh, they're linked to uh, health problems when they're at these levels, uh, or at least a little higher levels than we've seen here. Although the city says the amount of DBPs are not at a dangerous level, the announcement left many people concerned about the water quality here in the city. Time of the announcement may have added to the concern. Flint, Michigan made headlines with dangerous levels of lead in their drinking water. Last week, Eastern Howard Schools near Kokomo announced they found lead in their water as well. So we're going to spend the hour on Noon Edition today talking about water quality. And we have three terrific guests with us today. Uh, Jim Barnes is here in the studio. Um, Professor Barnes is with the School of Public and Environmental Affairs and the Maurer School of Law. And he, at one point, was uh, a counsel with the EPA. We also are being joined by phone from Mary Hollingsworth, the Drinking Water Bureau Chief of the Indiana Department of Environmental Management, and Rachel Atz, the Water Quality Coordinator for the City of Bloomington Utilities. You can join the discussion by giving us a call at 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. And you can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So thank you all for being here with me today. Uh, and Rachel, I'm going to let you start. I sort of uh, bungled up a little bit that description of what's going on with Bloomington's water. So hopefully you can give us the overview of uh, these elevated levels of DBPs and what that means to the consumer. Okay, so disinfectant byproducts are created when organic matter comes in contact with disinfectants such as chlorine. And disinfectant byproducts are regulated by the Safe Drinking Water Act. Um, we have seen over the last few years elevated levels as the, the level of byproducts starts to tick up a little bit in our system. But we are under the maximum contaminant level allowed by the US EPA and IDEM. But I think the Mayor Hamilton put it best when he described it as a little too close for comfort. So he's put together an aggressive plan to try to reduce these byproducts in the next three to six months. Byproducts are formed as a factor of time and of temperature. So the warmer the water is, the faster this conversion and chemical catalyst happens. So our goal is to have some plans in place and some solutions going by the time the water warms up and we have an increase in level of organics in the Monroe Reservoir. Now, uh, when you talk about a, dis a byproduct of the disinfectant process, so are you disinfecting the water with um, you know, chlorine, what kind of chemical is being used? And as I understand it, the, the, the disinfectant that is being used now hasn't always been that particular disinfectant, that over time there have been changes in that. Is that correct? Well, we've changed byproduct, I'm sorry, we've changed disinfectants in 1987. We switched from chlorine to chloramines, and that's what we call our residual disinfectant that we put out into the distribution system. At the head of the water plant, as part of our effort to inactivate pathogens, we use chlorine. It's a stronger disinfectant and it has a better ability to inactivate pathogens such as bacteria, giardia, cryptosporidium, um, viruses, protozoans, those sort of pathogens. Okay, so Mary, um, is this a, a common issue that you deal with around the state? Um, mostly we deal, if they do chlorine, there are disinfectant byproducts that do come across our, uh, at IDEM, um, usually surface water plants, seem to have more because I think they deal more with organics uh, from the surface water and therefore the byproducts are a little bit higher. But it's it happens. 
Um, this is why we have them sample. This is why we meet with them and talk with them about it and uh, try and work out plans to do what's best for their system. Mm -hmm. So you had a meeting today. Was that uh, a routine kind of meeting, or is this uh, something to really look at the, these elevated levels of DP, DBPs and trying to come up with a solution? It's, um, it's a regular meeting that we meet with systems that we feel are um, – Still in compliance, but we want to help them, give them technical assistance, work through some processes. Um, they usually bring in an engineer or a consulting firm that they've been working with, um, and uh, they explain to us what they want to do, and we look at the process. We look what they propose. We talk in-house to say, do you think this will work? And um, we try to work together with systems because... IDEM and the regulatory entity, even though we regulatory, we're a regulatory entity, we try to work with the systems as much as possible and give them technical assistance <coughs> because we're all in this together and we all want to make sure everybody has safe water. So when you talk about technical assistance, uh, you know, if you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, so don't get over my head, but what kind of technical assistance might you offer? Well, we have engineers on staff. We have people who know uh, chemicals. We have biologists on staff, uh, and they can look at their proposal, and they can say, this is what we want to do. We'll say, well, we think this would work or that would work. And and so we handle technical assistance of maybe they should flush more, or maybe they should move an entry point, or maybe they should all different types of things on the all different scenarios. So we, at IDEM, we see all regulatory parts all, through all every city every town so we see what other people are doing that works that could help other systems okay well, i'm going to bring jim barnes in on the conversation in, in a real general sense and you know we'll, we'll go bounce back between general and more specific but you know drinking water is one of those things uh, professor barnes that that i think a lot of people kind of take for granted and you know, when you, you know, during your time at the EPA and now your time at SPIA, I mean, can you j just sort of talk generally about the, you know, the, the complexity of making sure that everybody has clean drinking water? Well, I think you're right on on both points, Bob. I mean, I think we assume when we turn on the tap and 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 draw a uh, glass of water like we have here to drink that that's going to be safe to drink. And we have, I, mean, I guess, the counterpoint when we think of, of in other countries that are underdeveloped and so on, one of the first and most important steps is to try to get them safe, uh, potable uh, drinking water. So that's why it, it becomes uh, a matter of concern not only to, to citizens, but I think to, the, to uh, those in the EPAs and the items when, when we find situations where the uh, uh, levels of water quality are not uh, what we would uh, want for ourselves and that the citizens should uh, expect. I mean, EPA sets uh, maximum contaminant levels for in excess of about 90 different uh, uh, contaminants, and it requires the uh, uh, public water systems to test for those uh, contaminants that it think might be in the water uh, and where where there are uh, above the levels then have to take they have to take uh, steps and they also have to uh, notify their local uh, uh, consumers of water uh, about that and I mean of course that's something that the city of, of Bloomington does in which I include their annual notice in my course materials for environmental law that, that tells the citizenry what what the primary uh, uh, standards that uh, the city is is concerned about meeting and where there have the tests have shown they have some of those uh, contaminants and uh, I would say up to now as I've looked at those always very comfortable is after seeing uh, John Hamilton's uh, press conference uh, 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 did pull the most recent one out for 2015, and it looked like they're indeed on the the uh, disinfection uh, byproducts, the trihalomethanes, were edg edging up to that. But I don't know if that tells you what. what yeah, you yeah. Know. I mean, I think that a couple, and these don't trip off the tongue, but trihalomethanes and haloacetic acids those were the two i think that were of particular concern for the city of bloomington um those are among several uh different things that are tested is that right 
Uh, yes. Now, I, I think Rachel's probably a lot more familiar with right. the detail on this. I looked at the Federal Register notice where EPA set the standards for disinfection byproducts, and it was about 70 pages of uh, material that you'd really would want to be a uh, toxicologist and a uh, chemist to be able to understand. And at least I understand that 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 you get you can have a number of different disinfection disinfection byproducts depending on what the particular chemicals that are being used to treat the water and also what what you find in the water uh, itself. If I'm going to add one one kind of incident other incidental note that in in the case of Flint. They, after they discovered they had a lead problem and they started dumping a lot more chlorine in the water, they also now have determined that they uh, also have some significant disinfection byproduct issues there. Well, I think the timing of, uh, you know, Bloomington's issue, I mean, no, nobody is comparing Bloomington to Flint or shouldn't be. But I think the timing of it probably got everybody's attention a little bit because of, of Flint being in the news. Um, Rachel and Mary, when you think about, you know, what's going on here in Bloomington, I mean, is there, is there a cause for, I mean, what, what's, what's like the, the, your comfort level with what's been going on here, I guess, would be a way to put it. So as the levels have begun to uptick over the last few years, we're definitely, we're getting concerned. At this point, my level of concern has gone down quite a bit, thanks to um, the mayor's pledge to help resolve this problem and to to look at it more closely. So at this point, I think we have a lot of um, the key components in place, uh, um, working to remove them. It's certainly a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to give our phone numbers again. If uh, anybody out there uh, listening today wants to talk to us about Bloomington's water situation, water um, quality issues in your own community, in the state, or even have questions about Flint or, or beyond, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. Mary, I want to go back to kind of a general question about the Drinking Water Bureau. You're the bureau chief, so just watching over the state's drinking water and what that entails in a kind of a, a general sense from you know day-to-day and week-to-week. Okay. Um, well, it's called the Drinking Water Branch, mm-hmm. um, and I'm the branch chief. So um, okay. other agencies in other states call it bureaus, and okay. uh, so uh, – but. What it entails is we have approximately 4,000 public water supplies that we oversee. Um, There are three different types of those public water supplies. Uh, There are community systems similar to what Rachel and Bloomington uh, deal with have. Uh, There are what we call uh, non-transient non-communities. And these are people that have their own wells um, but serve water to the public. A lot of school systems are like that. Uh, We have... um, uh, factories, um, daycares in that same non-transient, non-communities, and they are transient systems, which are just ones that you go by in a little county restaurant that has their own well, um, um, you know, rest stops, you just go in and drink a drink of water, then you leave. Uh, but it's people who serve their public water supplies are people who serve at least 25 people or more in a 60-day period, uh, or 60 uh, 60 six-month period Um, so um, those are the ones we deal with so we have a staff of about 60 plus people um, all dealing with different levels we also have a groundwater section that goes out and does groundwater modeling uh, or monitoring Uh, they monitor different areas of uh, private areas of private people um, residents and looking to see how the groundwater and the contaminants are in groundwater to making sure that the groundwater is safe here in Indiana. So there's a a lot of components to it. Um, We have a compliance section that does all our compliance sampling. They they look at all the compliance sampling. We have a permit section that does uh, permitting. 
Uh, we have um, a section that also does um, inspections. We have inspectors that go out and look at public water supplies, um, depending on their schedule, uh, to see how things are going. They, they're the ones that does most of the technical assistance. And then we have another section called uh, Operator Certification and Capacity Development Section. And this is another portion of what we do at Drinking Water Branch. We regulate certified operators <coughs> here in the state of Indiana. Um, every public water supply that is a community or a non-transient non-community is required to have certified operators and they are they are trained um, and educated and they have to pass on um, a certification test in order to become certified and then they have to go through uh, continuing education hours um, and every three years have to renew their license and on the capacity development section um, and that's part of that section they deal with really technical assistance, hardcore technical assistance, uh, education uh, of uh, people out there trying to educate them about water, and also they review um, new systems coming on board. So the 60 people you're talking about, the, they are all part of, I mean, this branch includes compliance, inspections, all those other things you mentioned, and that's 60 plus people that are in that branch? Correct. Yes. Okay. Correct. And then you have four thousand. That's a lot. That's a lot of territory for, to cover. Yes, and, 4, and uh, <laughs> that's four thousand systems, um, mm -hmm. and uh, so it's a lot of territory. Um, we have a an inspection staff does a really good job getting around, but it's it's tough to get around to all of them. Okay. Well, we have a phone call, so we're going to go to uh, to Anthony, who's in Bedford. Anthony, go ahead. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, mm -hmm. My question was that the at the house level, is there anything uh, that the consumer can do to essentially protect themselves from poison, for lack of a better word? All right. So at, filters? Yeah. At, at the house level, are the things that uh, Anthony could do or others could do to help protect themselves and make sure to get all the contaminants out of the water? Um, do you want me to Yeah, Mary, Mary, why don't you, why don't you <laughs> okay. try that first? Yeah. All right. Um, sure, there's a lot of things you can do. First of all, um, I would have your water tested by a certified lab. Uh, you can go on ITEM's website. Uh, we have a list of all the certified labs that can do drinking water. Uh, it's very important that you, uh, if you get a bottle to be sampled, you follow the instructions. Uh, once you find out the quality of your water uh, at your residence, um, there are things you can do. Um, there's filters you can put on, there's softening, depending on what you find wrong. Um, make sure though, if you ever put on filters, make sure they have an NSF approved rating to do drinking water. There's a lot of people out there trying to sell <coughs> um, equipment that real won't work. Um, so I caution you on that, but make sure it has, uh, it'll say NSF and it'll be big bold letters with a big round circle on it. Rachel, you want to add anything from a Bloomington standpoint? Yeah, I always recommend that folks <coughs> that are looking to purchase a filter, um, on the back of the filters, most of the manufacturers make it clear on the contaminants that they remove. So I always suggest that you just take a look at that. Um, there's a lot of things that homeowners can do to keep the water inside their home um, fresh and safe. So one of the things is we always recommend that you don't consume hot water. That water goes through your hot water tank. There's some metal components. Um, it's heated up, so there could be bacteria. Um, also, manufacturers suggest that you flush hot water tanks yearly. Of course, I don't know anybody that does that. So um, we do have instructions in our office that we pass out to folks about how to flush a hot water tank. But um, we always recommend that you consume only cold tap water versus um, water from your hot water tank. So if you need warm water, you need to heat up the cold water. Um, also, if you've been gone for a period of time, anywhere from six hours to two weeks, something like that, you're going to want to make sure that you flush through your water pipes pretty frequently. Um, the stagnation is, is not good, especially if you have metal pipes. Um, and then, as Mary mentioned, we always recommend if you have questions, you um, have your water tested, give us a call. There's a lot of free screen screenings and testing that the City of Bloomington Utilities does for their customers. Anthony, any other uh, questions? Does that answer it? Uh, yeah, that definitely answered, and I appreciate that. 
I, I just, I, you don't have to answer this one, but I was just curious if, if the politics has anything to do with the regulations that uh, that are in place. And you know, I'll just... we're going to turn to Jim Barnes for that. The politics have anything to do with regulations. Uh, well, certain some of it circle around it. The thing I'd tell you about the drinking water standards are basically start off with EPA setting what's a, a health goal, that there would be no adverse health effects from a certain level of contaminants in the uh, 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 water. But then sometimes that gets, gets adjusted a little bit depending on what, what techniques are available to the public water system to uh, uh, treat that water and how costly it is. So there can be some backing off on that. But that, I would say that that's a process that's really not uh, very subject to politics. It certainly is is open to, to public comment from various uh, 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 officials, or I mean various uh, persons and uh, interested parties. I think the, the area where I had seen politics in it the most had to do with with questions of arsenic or fluoride in uh, drinking water, where there's some areas of the country that are high naturally in those substances, and there's some pressure from state officials to not set too tight a standards because they're concerned about the cost of having to treat that local uh, water to deal with that. But I, I don't think this is an area that where I would be, uh, be particularly concerned that there's been a lot of of public, uh, I mean, of, of political uh, pressures to to back off of uh, of health healthy uh, health protecting standards. Okay, Anthony. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot for the call. Our phone numbers again: eight one two eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington, or one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. You can also join the live chat at wfiu. dot org slash noon edition, and you can follow us on Twitter. At noon edition, I've got one question that's come in on our live chat. I'm going to ask that before before we get to our break, which uh, this half hour is going very quickly. Uh, but our questioner says, "Would it be correct to say fertilizers in the Lake Monroe watershed cont- contribute to the number of organics in the surface water?" Rachel. Um, the organics in the surface water are generally things like sedimentation or um, even leaves like uh, we notice we have a high level of organics in the fall when the Hoosier National Forest starts to um, shed their leaves but um, we do measure um, herbicides and pesticides in the raw and finished water at the Monroe Reservoir and those sort of organics or synthetic organic compounds aren't necessarily contributing to our disinfectant byproduct We've only found um, small little hits occasionally of um, things like atrazine, um, where the MCL for atrazine, the maximum contaminant level, is three parts per billion. And we did have a a one-time hit of 0.2 parts per billion of atrazine. And um, IDEM has recently changed some of their um, their rules regarding when we test for that. So they help us to find sort of this worst case scenario where we know we're sampling for pesticides and herbicides like atrazine at times when they're being used around the Monroe Reservoir. So it's really been a great move for public health protection. Jim? Bob, I'd add one other aspect to that, because I think that was a very good question from the uh, uh, your viewer. I, I, as I heard the question, it had to do with, with the use of, of uh, fertilizers and fertilizer that might run off of, of uh, farms where it's been used. And in fact, right now, there is a major uh, uh, issue uh, that has kind of exploded in the Des Moines, Iowa area, where the public, the local public water supply is uh, is uh, suing uh, uh, farmers because the, the there's so much runoff of the uh, phosphate fertilizers into the the water supply for for uh, Des Moines that it's not able to, to treat that very successfully so that that is a, a concern in other parts of the uh, of the country okay we're going to have to take a short break. You're listening to Noon Edition on WFIU. We're talking about water quality in Bloomington, the state, and uh, elsewhere today. We'll be right back.
This is New in Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, and we're talking today about uh, water quality issues with uh, three guests. Two are joining us by phone, Mary Hollingsworth, the drinking water uh, branch chief for the Indiana Department of Environmental Management, and Rachel Atz, water quality coordinator for the City of Bloomington Utilities. And with me here in the studio today is Jim Barnes, professor at the School of Public and Environmental Affairs and the Maurer School of Law and a former general counsel for the EPA. If you want to join us on the program, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. We have this question that's come in online, and it is, is there an easy and expensive way to test water? Mary? Um, the uh, State Board of Health will test water. Um, I think they're um, um, probably the cheapest. I don't, and you can contact the State Board of Health lab. Um, also, if you'd like uh, to go to our website at www.in.gov/idm, uh, we have a list of certified labs. I would. Um, have them call and see, depending on what tests, some tests are very expensive. The SOCs and the IOCs and VOCs, they can be expensive. A simple bacteria test could run about 10, 20 bucks. Um, so, um, and nitrate, and so those are things. So I just have them look up certified labs that'll do drinking water and just, and call. And you might be able to get one done in your area uh, relatively cheap. Uh, you can also talk to your county board of health and they might have some um, ways you can do it a little bit inexpensively too. Is there any such thing as like a, a home water test where you could go buy your own kit and test it yourself? Well, they have them out there yeah. and um, they're um, not the most reliable. Doesn't, they will give you... Yeah, it doesn't sound like you're recommending that. <laughs> no, no. Okay. It's because what happens is it'll give you kind of what it is but it's, um, you know, it's, it's you want to make sure what you're drinking. And if you're going to go to the expense of buying a home water testing, you might as well just have it done at a, a certified lab. Okay. Um, I want to move on to the, the Eastern Howard Schools near Kokomo. So, Mary, are you involved in that case? I was. Okay. So can you give us sort of an overview of what's been found up there and what the severity of the issue is? Well, um Eastern Howard County Schools received their water from a town called Greentown. Um, Greentown um, did uh, their normal lead and copper sampling. Um, lead and copper is a very difficult rule to understand, but if you hit a 90 percentile and if it's over the uh, action level that EPA recommends, then they have to do some um, either corrosion control, replace pipes. There's a numerous amount of things they can do. Uh, one of the main things they do is public education. So Greenstown um, action level exceeded 15 parts per billion, so they sent out a public education. Uh, the school um, got, received a public education. They were very proactive. Because one of the things it tells you in the public education is to actually test inside your own building. Uh, because the town is responsible coming to into the main, into your building, but the school is responsible for everything else. And they were very proactive in testing. 
Uh, they did find uh, a few sinks, uh, some drinking water fountains that were uh, over the limit of um, 15 parts per billion. Not excessively over, but some. And so what they decided to do was um, shut off the water, bring in bottled water, and start replacing those fixtures who they found um, was over the limit uh, of um, the action level. Uh, meanwhile, Greentown has received a permit from IDEM. Uh, they are um, administering some uh, what we call a polyorthophosphate, which is coats the pipes. Um, what happens is in, when water is eventually flowing through the pipes, it gets corrosive over years, lead starts leaking out. So this polyorthophosphate puts kind of a nice little um, coating on those pipes to stop the lead from coming out. Um, especially in buildings that were built um, before 1984. Uh, the school was built in 1960. So lead was used in a lot of um, plumbing, soldering, fixtures. <coughs> so uh, they're going to run that orthophosphate through and hopefully coat all those pipes and, and help them out. Okay. Um, I just... I don't. I hate to bring up Michigan, mm -hmm. but um, we can't avoid compared, it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I, and uh, compared to Michigan, Michigan had almost thirteen thousand parts per billion. Um, that water was almost toxic. What they're having here in Eastern Howard and at Greentown is very low amounts. And I think what they're doing in Greentown is everything what the lead and copper rule was supposed to do. It was, they're following the letter of the law, which is fantastic, and that's how it's done here in Indiana. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I know you don't want to talk about Michigan much, but is there, you know, are there lessons to be learned from what state government did in Michigan? Do you feel comfortable uh, commenting on that? What, what was done? Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I don't really feel comfortable because I'm not really sure what was done and what wasn't done. Mm -hmm. um, all I can do is really speak for what we do here in Indiana. Uh, but I think what will happen, it'll all come out. Uh, investigations are being done, and then we'll all know what really happened. Yeah. Okay, Jim? Yeah, I would take, if I'm living in Indiana, I'd take some comfort from the point uh, Mary made about what happened in, in uh, Greentown. But, and then there's one aspect of it I probably would, would emphasize, and that is with, with the problems of lead and drinking water. Most of the problems uh, g get introduced into the drinking water after it has left the, the wa uh, water treatment plant. Raw water typically does not contain uh, significant amounts of, of lead. So that's why those uh, homeowners have to be concerned about what, what's the uh, piping between the, the uh, uh, water treatment plant and their home, and in particular, what, what's happening one, once with the uh, plumbing inside the home, where there may be uh, old lead solder uh, joints or lead pipes and so on that, that, are, that are problematic. Going to the uh, Flint situation, I mean, I think the origin of that was a decision in, in April of 2014 to switch from uh, using uh, water that had come out of the Detroit treatment system that had been drawn by uh, fr drawn from Lake Huron and then was being piped up to Flint, and uh, they decided uh, the folks that were temporarily in charge of trying to to manage that uh, city uh, decided that they could save some money by uh, uh, switching to uh, their own uh, their own uh, building their own water uh, line to uh, Lake Huron, but in the interim, they were, they were going to use water out of the uh, Flint River, and that turned out to have a much different uh, chemical composition than the water that had been drawn from, uh, from Detroit, and it turned out to not only leach a lot more lead out of the uh, 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 system, but it, it, if you've seen some of the pictures of what, what the water coming out of those taps was, and you consider the fact that the uh, uh, General Motors plants there stopped using the uh, uh, pub, uh, water out of the public system because they were finding it was corroding the, the equipment in the uh, 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 plant and was uh, so problematic. 
And uh, ironically, at that, that same time, the state officials there uh, decided to provide bottled water in the state offices for uh, uh, for their employees. And it just, it, to, to me, it's incomprehensible that uh, public officials, both at the I mean, the local level, the state level, and I, I mean, I, I, where I would fall to EPA is that once they were aware of it, that I think there's an obligation to really make the public uh, aware of that. I think there sometimes is some tendency from for public officials at at higher levels not to want to be critical of their counterparts either at the state or the local level because they realize they're often operating under under what, sometimes political constraints or uh, fiscal constraints but but I, but I think at base if you're if you're in one of those positions of, of public responsibility and you realize that that your public is being uh, exposed to risks that, that that you're aware of and that that at a minimum you ought to let them know so they can take steps to protect themselves uh, I think that's inexcusable I have a couple couple things I want to follow up with and Jim um, I think this links back a little bit to the question about politics and you know you said you don't think politics are involved very much but this is a way that it can kind of become involved and it's not it's not a, a real blatant involvement but people might not want to criticize somebody else and then also the financial piece of it is that people are looking for a way to do something cheaper and so they made a mistake no i, I think you're absolutely uh, right about uh, about that mm-hmm. um and then rachel i wanted to mention uh, i wanted to ask you because i think i think mayor hamilton uh wanted to get ahead of this issue in bloomington when he called a news conference to announce these numbers and and a lot of that was about what jim was talking about and about being transparent and really giving the consumers the opportunity to uh, take steps if they wanted to isn't that correct correct we we publish annually our consumer confidence report um, or a water quality report that lists the contaminants found under the safe drinking water act in our local water um, but that report comes out annually in, in June. It has to be published by July 1st. So all of our customers get a copy of that in their June water bill, and it's posted on our website. It's available at the library. But you're right, Mayor Hamilton felt that um, he wants the data released on a much more frequent basis. In addition, we test under the Safe Drinking Water Act for disinfectant byproducts on a quarterly basis. Mayor Hamilton has moved to monthly sampling so that we have a better picture of the byproduct formation and that we have um, the ability to give our customers more up-to-date information on how those are forming and and what the water looks like in the distribution system. Mary, I had one question, if I I could interject myself here. I I noticed one of the problems with the, that had surfaced here in in the uh, uh, county was that you had a, a wholesale buyer kind of at the far end of the system and knowing that these byproducts can can become more troublesome over time. Is the testing that's going to be done? Is some of it going to be at the point where, where they're pick, that wholesaler is picking up the water and then sending it on to homes in that area, or is the the, the testing uh, primarily as as the water's coming out of the uh, uh, Bloomington water treatment system? Yeah, Rachel, um, that would be you, right? No, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, 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 okay. Oh, yeah. So um, <laughs> under the the well, we're under the stage two disinfectant byproduct rule, and that was um, EPA revisions in 2007 that took place in 2013. And under that rule, all public water systems across the U.S., regardless of their size, are required to test for disinfectant byproducts. So the city of Bloomington Utilities treats water and sells water to nine consecutive wholesalers or consecutive systems, and all of them must comply with the Stage 2 drinking water rule. Mary, do you want to add something? Um, Yes, Rachel's um, correct in that. and so what happens when the disinfected byproducts, I think Rachel kind of explained that, but the longer it's in a distribution line, the more time it has to react. So these consecutive systems or satellite systems, however you want to say it, they have long lines of pipes also, and so it can still grow. Um, and I just want to add something else that Rachel was talking about, the CCR, the Consumer Confidence Report. Um, item is also very transparent. Uh, you can go on our website uh, 
You can go to what we call our drinking water watch. You can type in the city and town that you live in, and you can see all results that they we have for them, um, no matter what it is, whether it's disinfectant byproducts, lead and copper, bacteria, nitrate, and we're very transparent in that way, and uh, we try to get that uploaded as fast as possible, so it's almost live that we have it. All right. Our phone numbers again are 812-855-0811 here in Bloomington, 1-877-285-9348 outside of the local area. You can also join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us or reach us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We have about 10 minutes to go in the program, and we've got a caller and a question that's been sent through. So let's go to the caller first, and it's Dave from Brown County. Dave? Yes. Uh, are you concerned about the thousand percent of increased logging in our state forests as it relates to the siltation of Lake Monroe watershed, and how this will affect the water quality in the future? Uh, Mary, sounds like for you. Um, I'm not familiar with that, so I really can't answer it. Um, we have uh, a whole different branch that deals with water assessments, TMDLs. Uh, source water assessments and so forth. So they deal with that. Um, their their concern is, you know, what's happening into not only Monroe and all the but all the other lakes of of runoff and so forth. So that's their job. Rachel. So the Hoosier National Forest does represent about 75% of our watershed. So, of course, the activity in the watershed does impact um, the reservoir. Um, also, Mayor Hamilton has recently made some um, pledges to be more active about our source water management plans and source water protection. So we're looking at um, testing more frequently and, and putting together some plans to work with IDNR um, and the Army Corps of Engineers on on how the watershed is being protected and what sort of recreation or timber activities and how those are impacting our water quality. At this point, we, we haven't seen much of a, a change in our uh, raw water quality. It's been pretty slight. We know that the the, the main component of the disinfectant byproducts are part of our treatment process and, and not necessarily um, a big degradation in, in water quality. But certainly activities in the watershed are going to impact our source water quality. And, and we're looking to um, do what we can as a municipality and a, as, the, as the biggest user of the reservoir to, to try to do what we need to do to protect our water source. All right, Dave. Thanks a lot. We appreciate Thank the call. Um, I, yeah. Hey, um, I just want to add too. If there is a complaint out there, um, they can send questions, um, and you can call one eight hundred four five one six zero two seven extension twenty four four six four for complaints, or you can do questions at IDEM. All right. Two ways to to reach the. Indiana Department of Environmental Management, if you have concerns or questions. We have a question from Megan online. Should we be concerned about what we're not testing for, pharmaceuticals and whatnot? That's the question. Anybody want to take that? Rachel? <laughs> so, you know, as um, universities are a main component of, of research on uh, emerging contaminants as, as they're referred to and there's always this process of you know first we have scientists at universities finding and discovering these contaminants in our water then we look to find reliable sources to test that water so standard methods that we can use um, and then the process moves to the EPA where their toxicologists review health impacts so not all of the contaminants that we're finding in our water uh, have health impacts. Some of them could possibly be beneficial or have have no health impacts. So there's a whole process in place. We, um, the City of Bloomington Utilities does participate in the EPA's unregulated contaminant monitoring program. And this is where um, the EPA can 
establishes this list of candidate contaminants that they're looking at. Um, it's a process where they're looking to see how widespread these contaminants are across the country. They're working with laboratories to develop effective testing mechanisms. And um, so we do have some information about contaminants that are not yet regulated. And um, we do participate in that unregulated contaminant monitoring rule. Well, the, fr from that, there's a, as, as uh, she has indicated, a fairly slow process to actually add additional uh, 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 standards for particular uh, contaminants that EPA is required every five years uh, to, to look through, call through a list and, and uh, identify, I think it's five contaminants it might consider regulating and then decide whether or not to, uh, to do those. And I know that uh, pharmaceuticals are, are one of the things that have been on uh, high on the list of, of concern. I mean, I think the most important thing probably in the local area is to try to get through to people when you've got uh, excess medicines for yourself or your pets. Uh, the answer is not to drop it in the toilet and flush it, flush it down the drain so it's going to end up in the uh, uh, water supply. And they're better make use of some of the uh, 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 times when uh, excess uh, pharmaceuticals are collected and they can be disposed of in a more uh, uh, environmentally protective way. Uh, we've got about five minutes to go. There are a few more issues I want to touch on, if possible. And, and if there's one I don't get to, you guys can jump in with anything you want to talk about as well. But uh, House Bill 1082, working its way through the legislature, is I, I don't know, not familiar with where the bill is at this point, but it it would uh, how would it affect municipalities? Rachel, are you familiar with that bill about um, regulations stricter than those placed nationally or not enforceable in Indiana? Um, no, sorry, Bob, I'm not familiar with that. Jim? I mean, that that is an issue that uh, surfaces, I think, annually with the uh, state legislature here. It's something that is in place in a number of, of, of other states. It's something that I, I guess I, I frankly find appalling because the, the uh, uh, major environmental laws in this country uh, were set up in a way that the federal government establishes kind of uh, minimum floor standards, but states are uh, allowed to be more protective if they feel they need to do that in, in some circumstances. And there are going to be some, maybe in some cases where where there, you have an issue that's important in a, in a particular locality but is not an, a, a national issue. And then as we've heard with the uh, pharmaceuticals, there are some things that the federal government may not uh, have gotten to. And I, I, I just find it a little discouraging that the state legislature would say, uh, we, if, if EPA hasn't done anything, uh, we, we don't want to do anything about it. And if they have done something, we want to make sure that our, our officials that are charged with trying to protect our our uh, health and well-being can't do anything more uh, restrictive than may have happened at the federal government, which again may have been influenced by uh, uh, factors uh, other than just uh, protecting health. I want to ask about Lake Monroe because I know there's a, a lake study going on right now about sort of a strategic plan about the lake, and that's you know our drinking supply. Here, I guess, Rachel and Mary, are there things that uh, you see that should be – are there are there concerns that you have about all the activity going on at Lake Monroe? Are there things that we should be cautious of going forward? So the new um, plan really didn't touch on water quality. It was pretty specific to um, recreational needs at the Monroe Reservoir. Uh, we are keeping a close eye on how DNR moves ahead and Army Corps of Engineers with their recreational programs and how those impact um, our drinking water source. But in general, I, I always like to add that we're extremely fortunate to have the Monroe Reservoir. It's a great source of water. Um, it's, it's not the Ohio River, it's not the White River, so um, we're in pretty good shape as far as the water, the raw water quality at the Monroe Reservoir. I also always like to add that I think we could always do better, so we're keeping a close eye on those items. Okay. Mary, anything uh, to add? Yeah, I, I want to kind of add, uh, going back to the pharmaceutical, um, people need to realize that they are the protector of this water. 
Um, what they put in that water we drink. Water is a natural recycler. Uh, it's not produced, it's not made. It's, it's they, if to understand the water cycle, um, you have to understand that everything we put into it eventually comes back out to us in drinking water. So it's very important if you're going to dump things down your, uh, an abandoned hole or abandoned well, it's going to end up in the groundwater. If you're going to dump fuel oil or everything in Lake Monroe, it's eventually going to show up someplace and it has to be treated. All this has to be treated before we drink it, which is more cost to the consumer. So kind of as a consumer of water, kind of make sure what you do with water and how you handle uh, pollutants and contaminants at your own source, at your own home, is very important. I guess I would add one small thing. I think that, that was excellent advice. And when we were talking earlier about the suggestion of, of, of letting your faucet run a while, maybe after you've been, been away, I think some people would suggest, well, maybe you just ought to collect that in a, in a bucket and use that to water your plants or your uh, garden so you just don't flush it down the down the drain and send it back to then have to be uh, uh, treated again. All right. I think uh, we're going to have to close out the show. We've got less than a minute to go, so I want to take the time to, to thank you all. I want to thank Mary Hollingsworth. Mary's a friend of mine for 50 years. We've known each other for a really long time and hadn't talked in forever. I want to thank Mary Thanks, for being here with us today and also Rachel Atz and Jim Barnes for our producers, J.D. Gray and Sophia Soliday and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu. And Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. <laughs>